You are listening to Fanther Tracks. He's waiting. Classic Star Wars and the collectibles they gave us. From vintage Star Wars to the modern era of the saga. This is Collecting Tracks. Here are your hosts, Richard Hutchinson and Chris Letty. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Collecting Tracks, part of the Fanta Tracks podcast network. So I am delighted that Mark Newbold, Matt Booker, uh, Brian Cameron, a few others, gave us uh, a chance to push a new podcast out aimed at collectors. And I'm even more delighted to be joined by Chris Leddy over from the States. So I'm guessing it's good morning to you, Chris, over there. It's good afternoon for me. Yes, yes, I know. I, there's about a five-hour difference between us, but uh, we finally made the timing work and uh, excited to get into this new endeavor here. So, Chris, for some of our listeners who may not have heard of you, I just wanted to just give an overview of yourself and what your interest is and what your passion is in Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, like most of us, I've been a collector since childhood. Really, since I was could even remember my brother who was and is a huge star wars fan really uh just gave that fandom of star wars um to me right from the get-go as i was growing up uh, my dad was an antique dealer so we got into uh going to yard sales uh, or, or boot sales as you guys would call it and flea markets and antique shop and at that point i would buy up star wars stuff that i found and just really built on my love of collecting and the whole transactional nature of collecting and that sort of thing. But things kind of evolved over the years and I've always been a collector to some degree. And yeah, I mean, now it's pretty much evolved into uh, my side hustle, which is Letty's Collectibles and I buy collections and, and that sort of thing. But on top of that, I'm also a podcaster and YouTuber. Um, I have a channel called The Six Scale Scavengers, and that's all about hot toys and sideshow one six scale figures. We talk about what's going on uh, in that realm of collecting, which includes not just Star Wars, but Marvel and DC and, and so on. But I also am a card collector, and I recently, uh, within the past year, started a new podcast as well called The Cards Formula. It's mainly directed towards Formula One racing and those trading cards, but we also talk about non-sports cards such as Star Wars cards. But uh, yeah, those are really my, you know, the the big things in collecting that you know I enjoy sharing with others. But as far as like what I personally collect. I'm a huge Ahsoka Tano fan, got a pretty big collection of her stuff, and uh, some might find this interesting or question my my choices, but uh, I'm an Endor Rebel Commando focus collector, have been for quite some time, as well as I'm into the vintage uh, Return of the Jedi Japanese Sakuda line, loose complete Star Wars figures, and then, like I said, with the Six Scale Scavengers, um, I'm into the Hot Toys as well, so that's kind of just a taste of what i'm into covering everything from vintage to the latest and greatest modern stuff <laughs> it looks like you've picked the most <laughs> expensive lines in every, uh, everything you possibly would <laughs> and certainly check out the hot toys um six scale scavenger podcast listeners because there's some fantastic stuff in there and some of the videos that you do tremendous really <laughs> top-notch stuff 
Appreciate it. So for those who aren't aware of who I am, I'm, I'm co-host of the Vintage Rebellion podcast, which has been going around for about six years now, and I've written 90% of the vintage articles that have appeared on Fanther Tracks. I'm way overdue another one, so I should get me backside in the gear and get another one of those articles <laughs> cranked out. So I'm obviously on many of the forums, I still am, Stars Forum UK, and many of you know me from Rebel Scum and other places. Uh, my first introduction to Star Wars was more so with an aunt and uncle as a child. Uh, they were rich and then the fact that they had a TV with a video recorder and we never had those things so <laughs> I could go around watching bootleg copies of Star Wars fairly frequently. I got back into Star Wars more through um, the greatest computer game that was ever invented which was uh, Dark Forces which I still say at this day is absolutely tremendous. That led me down to um, what's now called Legends, you know, the Timothy Zahn novels, uh, Kevin G. Anderson, Tom Veach comic books and things like that. So I've got it. I've got a huge EU modern vintage collection, which, you know, that'll be lining me coffin with me one day because that will not <laughs> be going anywhere. From a vintage standpoint, obviously I'm very similar to you. I was focusing on vintage, loose and complete. Um, and then got sucked into the variance trap, which, you know, many of us do because we hit a point we think, oh, where do we go from here? Um, and we'll talk about these things, I'm sure, in the future and so what variants are. And then I started purchasing some carded figures, but I just, they were just too expensive. They were just far out of price. I couldn't justify the cost of them. Um, so I started focusing on R5D4, which, like yourself, is not a typical focus to go down, but I'm absolutely delighted I did because through that I made great friendships with David Deans and Brian Angel. Um, and one or two other R5D4 collectors out there. So I'm really, really pleased I did that. They also go to many of the cons, so I'm looking forward to Celebration London next year. We, I couldn't make Anaheim, sadly. I had the tickets for pre-COVID, but once the new dates were announced, I couldn't make it. And will you be making a journey over the pond uh, next year, Chris? Oh, I wish. I wish. With a young family and all, um, it's really tough to, to justify Absolutely. that. So, yeah. Well, I'm sure you'll be um, glued to the YouTube channel like most of us <laughs> were over here watching Anaheim one. Hi, this is Dorian Kinji, and you're listening to Fantha Tracks. Right, and so what's the show going to be about? So obviously we've had a chat about uh, what we're going to do the show, because we didn't want to do anything that was too similar to what the Vintage Rebellion or the Kivecast did, or perhaps some of the modern shows are out there, or anything like David Quinn's excellent podcast on um, Star Wars pre-production prototypes. So we thought, you know what, we'll, we'll just do sort of a deep dive into a different era each episode. We'll be looking at vintage, we'll be looking at modern, we'll be hopefully just educating a little bit our listeners on some of the more common terms that many collectors use. And I started to think, what we're going to do on this show, should we do something like the early bird kit from Kenna? But I thought, well, has that been done to death? Quite possibly. Do I know enough about it? Absolutely not. <laughs> so I thought, I'll go down. why don't we go down to something that I haven't seen a lot on? And I contacted one or two vintage Star Wars collectors who run the SWCA, which obviously is the fountain of all knowledge. And I'm sure we're going to get a lot of information yeah. over than every episode we do. And I asked them, has anybody done any of the collector's track panels on Star Wars items pre 25th of May. No, nobody's done one. And uh, the point they made was a wonderful article by Pete Villema, which we're going to touch base on and cover. Uh, I thought, you know, why don't we do that? Why don't we look at items that are available to collect before Star Wars was released 
on May the 25th, 1977. And I'm so glad that I did. Because I don't know about you, Chris, but from the <laughs> second I clicked the button, I was like, what? I've never seen that before. I've never seen that before. I've got no idea yeah. what this is. Uh, and there were some amazing items in there. And what I really enjoyed was not just reading Pete Vilma's article, but uh, Ron Salvatore's wrote a great article on the SWC blog as well. Yeah, it, it's crazy just diving into some of that stuff. Those collectors that have put in the time to write these articles like Pete and Ron and, and the like, it's it's amazing the depth of knowledge being shared. And so we're just going to touch to a small degree on what those collectors have um, you know uncovered from uh, years past. Absolutely. So we'll start off with Pete Vilma's article first, and I would, uh, I'm going to share this on the Fanta Tracks feed. And I don't know about you, Chris, but I find that sometimes some of the pages on the SWCA can be a little tricky to find. Mm-hmm. And it's really disappointing because some of the items and the articles are absolutely brilliant. Um, and this one from Pete, it's despite the years I've been on the SWCA, <laughs> I have never seen it before. Um, and it's, it's a real shame because Pete's done some excellent work here. So looking at one of the very, very earliest items that came out, it's no surprise it's going to be something that's quick to produce. Um, it was a sticker. And it's a triangle-shaped sticker, which I've seen before. But what I want to draw attention to with this, this sticker is it was one of the very first items that also featured the Star Wars as the, as the name. And I'm certainly not aware of any other items that have the Star Wars written on, but... I just thought it's such an odd shape. I, I tend not to see triangular stickers. I don't know if that was a thing for back then. You know, circular and rectangular, yeah, but triangular shaped stickers. Um, I love it though. I really do love it. And I was really surprised that's still quite easy, available to pick up, Chris. Yeah, th- I think quite a few of these uh, were made available to the public. And it, it is very unique and so different from what we ultimately got with. Um, you know, the look of Luke Skywalker and, but I think some of these were, there might've been stocks of them available uh, that came out during auctions from some employees and stuff like that. But uh, just an amazing design from, you know, Ralph McQuarrie, who was involved with the project from, you know, the earliest states, but yeah, just a great image. Absolutely, yes. I mean, it, it doesn't have much likeness to what we actually got, but mm-hmm. it's so clearly Ralph McQuarrie and Star Wars, and it just points to the whole iterative process of writing the, the Star Wars script, the whole you know, going back, revisiting, reimagining it, changing the characters. Mm-hmm. I just love it. I really like it. So so that's available in two sizes. You've got the five inch and the two and a half inch. Um, and it says they can, they can still be found on eBay, so uh, yeah. I certainly urge everyone to pick one of those up. Yeah, and I would definitely do your due diligence because I'm sure, like with some of the other items we'll discuss, there has been numerous bootlegs or, or reprints of these. So make sure you're, you know, looking into what you're actually buying. So the second item I want to look at is, and this is quite difficult to get. Pete, Pete wrote mm-hmm. this article in 1998, I believe, and it's called the 26 for 76 campaign book. So I'm guessing that's 26 movies for 1976 mm-hmm. that they are promoting. I clicked on this this uh, article, and I, and I love it. I love the <laughs> graphic. Next to the image is some text, and I, and I love the text. I'm going to read it out to you, Chris, and I just want you to, yeah. to reflect on a couple of things that in there. So, mm-hmm. from thousands of light years away come the unusual adventures of Luke Starkiller, and his friends as they battle numerous villains and creatures in a galactic civil war. Lung Yuk is accompanied by his robot companions R2-D2 and C-3PO, the tough star pilot Han Solo and the venerable old warrior Ben Kenobi. 
The space fantasy involves a search for a kidnapped rebel princess and a confrontation with the dark forces of an evil space empire. George Lucas, director of Mount Graffiti, creates a majestic visual experience of extraordinary worlds. Hmm. Now, there's wow. some things in there that I thought, well, it, it's powerful text whoever's written that. Right. But, um, obviously, I mean, some of our listeners may never have heard of Luke Starkiller before. I mean, what on earth is that? Yeah. From the get-go, uh, Luke, the, I mean, that's what his name was, Starkiller. And that, you know, we'll have seen that throughout the early parts of the Star Wars development. And along the way, George Lucas decided to obviously change it to Skywalker. But it's really interesting to see that in text, you know, in print. And I think that was the I think this is the first time seeing that. It must be, must it? It's yeah. really early on that. Yeah, yeah. I, I would expect that. Yep. Tough star pilot, Han Solo. I love that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he, he does have that tough sight room, but I, I don't think Harrison Ford took that certain angle with that <laughs> character, did he? Yeah, I mean, again, it's really interesting to see how these characters were uh, described early on. And uh, yeah, Harrison Ford took a different approach to it, but um, yeah, still pretty cool nonetheless. What do you think the image is? To me, I, I possibly think it could be a TIE fighter pilot and you mm-hmm. look over the TIE fighter pilot's shoulder. Yeah. Obviously, as you know, some of the early costumes evolved a lot. And I'm certainly intrigued with the ships in the, in the background there because they're, they're not X-Wings. But they certainly remind me of something else that we, we saw appear, particularly in the Return the Jelly movie. To me, they look like Y-Wings. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I would agree. It, it definitely looks like uh, you're sitting in the cockpit of a TIE fighter. Uh, with a TIE pilot there with the the Y-Wing or similar ship in the crosshairs. But if this is one of the first Star Wars images that people have seen, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's going to capture any eight-year-old child's imagination just looking at that. You're going to be poring over it. You're going to be reading that text umpteen times. You're going to be going, you know, robots, (laughs) and we've got space warriors, and we've got a princess in there. I mean, it ticks all the boxes. It's genius. Just hearing that like gets me excited about the movie, and I'm like, um, I've seen it, you know, countless times. But yeah, it's really fun to unearth uh, a piece like this, and and like you said, not gonna be an easy piece to find. I'm sure most of these were tossed years and years ago, but uh, still cool if if you could somehow unearth one. Now, moving on from that, I mean, obviously there were a lot of other cheap-to-produce items, which, you know, sadly, these are <laughs> incredibly expensive, and there are lots and lots of mass-produced fakes out there. And we can move on to things like letterheads and mm-hmm. uh, patches and buttons and things. But I just want to focus on the famous Howard Chick and poster, first of all. Mm, yes. So this is, you know, an incredibly, incredibly famous poster. I don't know a lot about Howard Chick, and uh, obviously I'm aware that he did a lot of the poster posters for comics and things yes it's got a very japanese feel to me this poster so i don't know if he has any roots in in japanese mm. artistry yeah it's very possible i wish i had a little bit more background of him as well but yeah it's it does have that kind of anime feel especially with the new disney plus series that came out i think it was this year the vision oh, series yes. uh-huh. and it has has a lot of connections you know, to that. So I wonder if some of that was inspired by that initial poster. I mean, now, obviously, we've known about it for decades now, but it's just an iconic image, that version of of Luke and Han, Ben, Leia, and uh, Vader as well, with a battle going on uh, around the Death Star in the background. It's, it's quite a stunning image. 
It is, and my eye gets drawn to the bottom where you've yeah. got what three, four Tie Fighters here. You've got X Wings. Mm-hmm. You, you know, there's a lot going on there. Um, yeah. Y Wing there as well. I'm gonna say. I know, right? I love it. I do. I love that poster, and it's it's too easy to fill a poster with mess. But that one absolutely nails it. Nails Star Wars for me. You know what it portrays is is a little bit of everything from that movie, that first movie. It it makes you ask a lot of questions, like who are these people? What is this battle going on? Who's this ominous being looking over? You know, this group of of individuals. Yeah, it's it's a great piece, but again, it's going to be uh, a pricey one to track down. There weren't that many of them made. I think Pete's article points to a thousand which yes. if there's only a thousand of those made I would, there'd be very few surviving this day perhaps a little bit easier to track down although still tough for some <laughs> of the other posters seen that we're yeah. talking about posters seen. the ones that we've all seen which are you know they're either black or the, or the blue and black with mm-hmm. the coming your galaxy this summer star wars and and posters like that now what a change you look at the chicken poster and you look at these heavy text posters obviously the, the logo <laughs> we'll talk about the logo and we'll come back to the logo and how it's developed yeah. a little bit but the logo on these ones seem to be nailed for me these posters are disappointing they don't capture my imagination at all i don't think they would as a kid come into your galaxy i would oh i like i like the word galaxy but other than that there's nothing there yeah um, i just haven't had the inclination to track one of these down at all no it doesn't uh do it for me as a collector as i wasn't around <laughs> during that time but i would be interested to hear from somebody that actually you know, saw this poster in the movie theater when they saw that trailer in December of 76 for the first time. You know, I wonder if it went hand in hand, whereas, you know, you're seeing that trailer and then you you see that poster and, and it kind of connects together as opposed to just seeing, um, you know, the visuals from that initial Chicken poster. I mean, there, there was two different iterations of the uh, Coming to Your Galaxy this summer, the one with the silver Mylar printing, which is quite a bit rarer and then uh, an additional one with um, a different paper stock which had the same text on it one of those might be more affordable but again for me as a collector it doesn't quite hit but i can see why collectors that were around back then would want to pick one of these up hey this is lauren mary kim and you're listening to fantha tracks so as I mentioned, the logo there, by the time we get to that poster, the logo mm-hmm. is pretty much a Star Wars logo that we all know. Now, there are lots and lots of different evolutions of the Star Wars logo, and some, I think, are absolutely wonderful. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a very early patch, which just has Star Wars with a really unusual mm-hmm. W on it. And it seems to be W, I don't know why W, but it seems to be W that <laughs> seems to have the most um, attention over the years, I would say. Right. The logo that I've just mentioned, the patch, it's also on a huge board, which has Mark Hamill posing next mm-hmm. to the Worldcon. That's a, a really... A lovely logo as well but the one i'm just going to mention briefly is the one that uh, it's referred to as the pointy w uh, i'm sure you've seen this pointy w before mm-hmm. yourself chris um yep. what do you think of that style of logo it definitely sticks out because uh, i don't see it as often but it works but it doesn't quite work and i can see why they changed it but yeah it's, it definitely stands out to me, it's as if it tempted it to be a bit more sci-fi, mm-hmm. but then they realise, you know, <laughs> what, as much as it might get classified as a sci-fi movie, it's more of a space opera, right. and I think they've tried to tone it down a little bit by mo- removing some of the geek element. I would agree, and to me, I find it fascinating, these little nuances, these little changes that they make along the way. My brother, who's a graphic designer, 
tells me about how the evolution of a logo or design. And the more you think about it, the more you realize like what works and what doesn't work. And uh, I'm sure the, you know, the small marketing team with Lucasfilm back in the day, I can just imagine them going through these paces and it's pretty uh, fascinating how it all played out. Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of the reason why I love Matthias's book, it's A New Proof. Uh, mm-hmm. I love the way that he documents the iteration of the Kenner card box and I would love to see something also on this early, you know, the, the Star Wars paper, paperwork. Hopefully something that mm-hmm. uh, you know, Charles Limpencott would have had a lot of evidence for. Absolutely, absolutely. If there isn't something out there already, it would be really cool to hear some of the the history behind that side of things. For everything in one location, daily news, reviews, interviews, podcasts, video and social media feeds, bookmark fathatracks.com for Star Wars news 24-7, 365. So moving on to other things, this one's perhaps a little bit easier to pick up, um, and this was the novel of the movie. Mm-hmm. So this obviously came out before A New Hope, or Star Wars it was back then, and this is um, Star Wars from the Adventures of Luke Skywalker. So this was the paperback, <laughs> and, and I love it, but I just want to draw attention, first of all, to the, the Macquarie painting of Vader on the front cover. Mm. So obviously Vader, his mask changed a, a little bit as we head towards the movie, and certainly to see some of the characters at the bottom uh, most notably Chewbacca, there was a definite change. But you mentioned Disney Plus before, and I don't know if you noticed it, but in the Kenobi TV series, mm-hmm. um, there was certainly a shot of Darth Vader as he walked towards Kenobi, and he looked like that. And it couldn't... It, it had the purples, <laughs> it had the blues. Yep. It was clearly a nod for me towards that Macquarie image, and I think it's just so iconic. And I can imagine myself, if I saw this as a kid <laughs> in the front window of a bookshop, I would be, I've got to get this. It, it just looks wonderful. Love it. Absolutely. I mean, the images that Macquarie came up for this cover are just stunning. The Vader design in this, it's like scary, but it's like intriguing. And, you know, what's this guy all about? And uh, or what's this thing all about? Because, you know, I didn't really know who was under the mask or if he was a robot or, you know, what. So I, oh my gosh, as a kid back in the day, Amazing. And then I'm such a big fan of the Star Wars Rebels series and how they use the Macquarie style to portray Vader in that series, which, you know, gives it a, a nice nod to the the origins of that design. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I certainly urge anybody who's not read that novel to have a read of it because it equally shows other ideas that George had been playing around with at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, as we know, it's not written by George Lucas. It was written by Alan Dean Foster, who wrote the follow-up to that, um, Splint of a Mind's Eye. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wrote some of the prequel novels as well from memory. And I did a presentation at one of the Father's Forms of the differences between the book and the movie. Um, and I might have to dig that out at some point because, uh, you know, there was, it certainly went off target. And there was a duck. <laughs> I definitely remember the duck in there. I, it's sad to say I, I've, I've never read the original, but that's something that I, I just put on my to-do list. Being uh, a bit younger, like, obviously, I didn't get this when it came out. But, yeah, I, I think back in the day, before the movie even came out, to get the novel for it, to think about movies these days compared to back then, I mean, that's unheard of. Because everything needs to be kept under tight lips and and everything, you don't want to give up any spoilers. But back then, it was it was a different st- different story altogether. The way they promoted uh, these movies. 
because we're talking about uh, books, didn't the, the Marvel number one also predated the movie? Mm-hmm. And I mean, and that must have been a big wow to anybody who picked yeah. a copy of that. They must have been, my God, I've got to go and say this on the big screen. I didn't realize it did come out a couple months prior to the movie coming out. And yeah, I mean, it's, it was all part of the, the way they marketed back then. And it made sense, you know, compared to the way things are done now. I think it built up the groundswell excitement for Star Wars and what it was all about. This is Adam Christopher, and you're listening to Fentatrex. There are some items that are equally are going to be tough, but you do see them popping up from time to time, which are perhaps more cast and crew items mm. or items that were sent out to theatres or radio spots and things like that. And one of those items is a press kit. I'm still not exactly certain what a press kit is. <laughs> I haven't looked at them in any depth. It was a thing back then. <laughs> the press kits, they kind of included uh, a bunch of different items. It varied depending on who the press kit was It was intended for. Basically, just like a folder with Star Wars on the, on the cover. I think almost all of them had silver lettering, but inside it had things like glossy stills from the movie. I don't think there was any set pictures. Uh, they were all various images. Also, cast bios, production info articles about the movie or production and then um yeah they just had uh, various other small items to promote the movie that's pretty much what they were about they were just sent out to writers and you know movie review critics and the like yeah absolutely what i also like is uh, some of the items but certainly i didn't know this but i didn't realize that steve sonsweet had actually been invited to the pre-screen of star wars <laughs> i mean and obviously steve sonsweet yeah. is well known amongst characters and he went to that movie and he kept his ticket stub as well uh and he's obviously he's credited that is his first ever star wars collectible imagine that being a star wars collector Jeez. before star wars came out <laughs> I know, I know it's crazy. And, and that's a whole other area of collecting is ticket stubs. And you wouldn't believe the amount of excitement that's going on right now with ticket stubs, not only for sporting events, but people are getting their original ticket stubs from when they saw Star Wars graded and and that oh, sort wow. of thing. So it's a whole other area of collecting. And it's amazing that he would have held on to that because it might be the only one from that press screening that is still around. Back then, that actually meant something. You go to the cinema yeah. now, you get a cheap piece of paper with a big, I know. you know, printed text on. And when you go, you know, you go to see a concert and you don't get, mm. you know, you used to get concert tickets with bands as logos and them and things. Yeah, like they're just rubbish now. I know, I know. Another thing that is going by the wayside due to technology. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, I think I have seen evidence of some of these being faked as well, which is mm. the the Lucite stars. So Lucite stars, it's a very small. I thought these were quite big and heavy, but they're, they're quite small. These. Um, I don't know, maybe about three or four inches in height. And mm-hmm. these are clear stars um, used as paperweights, and one has Star Wars written on it. And that one definitely predates Star Wars movie. There is a second one which has May the Force Be With You. I'm not exactly certain if that was mm. before the movie or after the movie, but you do see those uh, popping up from time to time. I think I would like one of those. I've seen one in a presentation box, and uh, I thought they were quite cute. You know, if you've got a display going for this pre-movie release period, definitely something to add extra to the display. Right, so moving on just a little bit then. So, can I have been panned incorrectly online for a long time for dropping (laughs) the ball? 
and I'm not sure exactly what the ball was that they dropped because as Ron Salvatore and various others have said many, many times, it takes a long, long mm. time to produce toys. A long time. So obviously once Star Wars became the, the huge success it did almost overnight and everybody was playing catch-up as certainly no balls were dropped. And Ron has written a fantastic article um, on the SWS Way blog about some items that you could have picked up back then. It's no surprise, I think, to anybody that they looked at things that were cheap and quick to produce in time for mm-hmm. Christmas. And for the things that I'm looking at are um, jigsaw puzzles. Mm-hmm. Now, I would have definitely had jigsaw puzzles. I had, I had jigsaw puzzles. I had lots of them as a kid. I don't recall any Star Wars ones, but I am 99.9% certain that I would have had some. So I just want to have a look at the four jigsaw puzzles at first. All four of the images are good images, but I didn't. None of them strike as being the one that yeah. I thought they would have gone. <laughs> so if you, if we start off with the the more basic ones first, the hundred and forty pieces, um, Han Solo and Chewie in the cockpit of mm-hmm. the Millennium Falcon. I mean, is that an obvious one to go with? Not really, because you have no context of the ship that they're in, or it's a decent image, but not one that really super exciting in my opinion yeah absolutely and then you've got the second one which is from the very ending of a new hope which is r2d and c3po and i can get the whole these are different these are droids and i, I can get mm-hmm. that but again there's just not quite enough <laughs> in there to to grab my attention as a kid but perhaps by then it didn't matter quite possible quite possible i i don't know if these were the only images that mm-hmm. lucasfilm gave to kenner so that's they just worked with what they had if you hadn't read any of the novel or the comic or whatever and you you saw this image i mean as a kid you know this one's potentially a little bit more interesting than the han and chewy one yeah i wonder how many images there were given i mean obviously these images were reused so many times yeah. and, and these obviously were on the fronts of the kind of action figures when they did get right to releasing those um, so, yeah, I, I've never thought of that, how many images they did get and, you know, how many were discarded and what those images were. Mm-hmm. Uh, ho- hopefully Ron or somebody can write an article on that. Now, we're moving on to the next two. So these ones are the 500 puzzles, 500 pieces. One of them, in fact, actually both of them, to me, have the same fault in them, in that they must be bloody hard to do. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot of um, black in one and a lot of white in <laughs> in the other. <laughs> I mean, I had to love the TIE fighter shooting at the X-Wing, but once you've done the TIE fighter and done the X-Wing, yeah. right, you've got a lot of black pieces to fit <laughs> together. I didn't know this um, until maybe about four or five years ago. Um, a friend of mine was actually missing a piece or two in one of his jigsaw puzzles, so he bought one, and he went to use those pieces in his, and they didn't fit. So I didn't realise oh that they make different... They have different runs of them, so they, right. when they rerun them, they stamp the pieces in different places. I never knew that. That is unfortunate for your friend. <laughs> it um, was for but, him. He had to buy four. <laughs> oh my god! But yeah, it's, that's a that's a that's a cool tidbit. Um, I had no idea that they did that. Now, one of the things that we all loved back in then, back then, and uh, I don't. My kids did as well. My kids did, but they've definitely grown out of it. And I'm not so sure about younger kids or ball games. Mm-hmm. absolutely love board games i don't know if you've played escape the death star but <laughs> i did with my children daughter may have been probably about 12 or 13 at the time that would made me son about six or seven and mm-hmm. um, we had one game and then they went right that's it we're off now the escape from the death star game is not the most exciting <laughs> um gameplay but I, I guess back then times were different 
But yeah, I, I tried playing the reissue with the retro collection oh, figures yeah. mm-hmm. with my uh, nieces and nephews and my kids when we went on vacation. Yeah, it lasted about five minutes and then half of them went back on their phones and the other half <laughs> wanted to play something else. What I think wins for this game, though, is the uh, the images on the front. I mean, yes, it's mm. got the same shot of the X-Wing and the, the TIE Fighter, but it's fact they've got eight characters and you've got Luke and you've got Leia, you know. I like that. I do like that mm-hmm. in the, the racing track around the outside. I'm going to say this might even rival the Darth Vader's carry case as being the most easy thing oh to pick up that you see everywhere. I think I've had at least a dozen examples of this. Um along the years uh picking up collections and stuff it is by far one of the most common items and uh yeah usually I, i've got to sell them for like 10 15 bucks at shows just to move them on because uh, most of the time they're incomplete but uh, i have had a few really nice examples and uh i just wanted to say like the little game pieces if you don't have the room to display like the entire box or whatever you can stick those game pieces into the um the footers and, um, you know, kind of add them into a display. Uh, I think that might be kind of a neat way to uh, represent, you know, the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good show that. Now, the other two items that um, came out at Christmas that time, mm-hmm. of course, are set and something called uh, Dib Dots, which <laughs> I'm not familiar with either of them. Yeah. Can I talk about the poster set first? Back then, obviously, Kenner wanted to come out with uh, paper products, which were a lot easier uh, to produce and uh, they had this plaints poster set that's uh, it's like play plaints it, it's just a interesting um, name for for the set but not having been around back then I didn't really know about this um, so it's kind of cool to check it out there were five different images included in this poster set pretty large size posters too 15 plus inches by 23 inches um, each. And then the images that we got were Obi-Wan versus Vader on the Death Star with uh, the Falcon and Stormtroopers fighting in the back, uh, which is interesting that they would include that before the movie even came out. There was a an image with two uh, Sand Troopers on a back on Tatooine. Another image of a couple X-Wings uh, being pursued by a TIE fighter with the Death Star in the background. Then there's the ceremony image with Luke and Han with their medals and no medal for Chewie, um, unfortunately. <laughs> and then, uh, so that's cool that you've got Leia in the background with C3PO and R2T2 and some other rebels. And, uh, then the last one that we get is on the, uh, Millennium Falcon. You've got the Dejeric table in the back with Chewie and C-3PO and R2-D2 fighting. Ben and Luke are in the, the background with Han in the foreground. So, I mean, it's a really cool set. And I don't know what the availability is on something like this these days, but I'm sure lots were made. It's just it's it's a really cool set. And the line line art is stuff that doesn't really repeat that I've seen, you know, going um, into other 
products yeah, and stuff like that. Good point, that. Yeah, absolutely good point. You're looking at like things like Vader. I mean, that must be incredibly frustrating for a kid to paint <laughs> Vader. Yeah. And and the stormtroopers and and that and some of the modern coloring in books, which I'm surprised there aren't coloring in books. Yeah. Uh, released at this moment in time. Obviously, they came later. Um, some of the modern colouring in books have certainly suffered from, you know, that the Kylo Ren's the most famous one with the, <laughs> the Kylo Ren with his lightsaber up. And I know. There's been some funny memes of that one. Yeah, I, definitely. Uh, I mean, it's good that, you know, they, they gave you some coloured images um, on the packaging to give you an idea on how to how to paint Invader, not just completely flat black and, and that sort of thing. And then the, the last of the, the items um, that's featured is that Dip Dots. I've got no idea what Dip Dots is. <laughs> Painting design book. What on earth is that? Before my time, but Dip Dots, you know, a, a line of painting sets that covered uh, various franchises and, and and that sort of thing but it's just like a painting book that it was watercolor and there's not a ton to it just some again more uh, line work images tie fighter x-wing battles it was one of kenner's brands that was part of their line so they just included star wars within it ah right okay that makes sense and you can see why they released that if they already owned the brand to it mm-hmm. now Obviously, by that point, some some unlicensed stuff started to appear, and the most obvious stuff that was going to be released at that time were lightsabers, because let's face mm. it, which kid didn't <laughs> want to have a lightsaber? Right. Uh, and, and a few early ones come up, and, and I don't know about you, but I would have broke mine within the first day if I was given mm-hmm. a lightsaber, any kind. And even the inflatable one, I mean, how many inflatable paddle pools people had inflatable, <laughs> you know, I would have punctured that within seconds. So a few lightsabers were released. One was called the Star Force Way. Mm-hmm. Come on, that's taking yeah. the uh, <laughs> Star Wars license brand surely right up to the edge. Yeah, I mean that's you're pushing it right there. A lot of the unlicensed stuff in this period was really pushing the limits of um, you know licensing rights. But yeah, the the Star Force Ray. I mean, it was basically. A flashlight with a you know like a translucent tube on the end of it that's essentially what it was six dollars as well i mean that's not uh, cheap is it 5.98 price tag yeah i wonder what an actual flashlight back then cost it was probably less than a dollar and then uh the markup uh just add the the additional uh lightsaber effect on it quite something i'm curious what the availability is on something like this these days because like you said i mean kids bash these things fighting with them i can't imagine there's a ton of these that are in like pristine conditions still kicking around but who knows yeah you wouldn't have thought so that's for sure and then another one um the force beam i mean <laughs> <laughs> it's no wonder george started to get really annoyed and started tightening up on these yeah do you think it's a bit of a better lightsaber this one it's quite more substantial than the star force right it's quite a bit longer and it's got some different features to it but Again, it's $6 and definitely an improvement from the other one. This is Susanna Malik from Mandalorian and Boba Fett. And this is Fantatrax. Is it Fantatrax? I'm, yeah, I'm blind. I couldn't read it. Fanta. 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 Yeah. I'm still going to okay. use that. Are you? Then use it. like this dumb broad can't speak English. <laughs> there weren't just lightsabers. Obviously, people were starting to bootleg. Certainly, the Canadians released an R2D2 bank. It's the plastic bank, which we call the money boxes. So it took me a number mm-hmm. of years to figure out how 
children in America have bangs at home. Um, <laughs> but I, I think I have seen um, a few of these, not with stickers on. I think I've seen them that are just completely battered and yellowed and things. But what I like about some of these banks were um, hypothesised that they released in Canada within the first week of the Star Wars movie and pulled from shelves very soon afterwards. Oh I mean, that's how, that's how fast... I mean, for those to get out, somebody must have seen some press kits or something from posters right. and things and automatically got straight on with these and said, we need to start producing them. They're, they're, they're going to be a big thing. And I love the fact that that's happened that fast. And for anybody who's listened to the latest episode of the Kivecast blog log pog, the pewter items from Neville Stockton. Mm-hmm. And again, there's a brilliant article from Ron Salvatore on there. Chris, what, what are your thoughts on these items? Because as a kid, I didn't collect anything like this. I, I, like tiny little minister shoulders, yeah. stuff like that. I didn't interest me at all. And I'm still not sure I would have liked these as a kid, but I love them. Love them now. I think I had some stuff kicking around like this, uh, mainly because my dad was antique dealer and he had like pewter soldiers and, and that sort of thing that he was always putting in his booths. But yeah, listening to that interview was... Uh, eye-opening i didn't really know i knew i like about the west end games figures and that were created later on but i didn't realize there was items like this created so early ron and yehuda they i mean they like really did an amazing job with uh with this article going into uh neville stockins you know the whole process that he went through to get these out and uh how he kind of skated the whole licensing thing now looking back i mean these things are pretty sweet and the various characters they came up with and the amount of detail mm-hmm. on something that you know before even the movie came out i mean it's just it's crazy what you know he's able to create and, and these would have been your first chances of getting something like a Greedo or mm-hmm. Radar, you know, that a lot of these weren't released um, initially in the first waves of Ken Africa, so I, I, I love them, really. And it's <laughs> Bantha as well. I mean, how long is it before Bantha first appeared? Good Lord. Like you were saying, the, the detail in such a small scale of something that, you know, you probably saw images in the um, the comics or, you know, the descriptions from the novel, but yeah, just really cool pieces. Yeah, just the whole story itself is is fascinating. And moving on to some of the final items, and um, the fact, I mean, it, it is fairly well known that the misspelling of Darth Vader mm. with uh, V A D A R <laughs> that is on far more than what I first realised because I just thought it was on a few buttons. Yeah. Um, but when I checked um, some of the SWDs for, for that spelling, um, <laughs> you've got things like iron-on transfers. Um, I don't know if you've seen the jacket, black and white yeah. jacket. I mean, that's that's brilliant. It's, oh, it's, man. It's got the Darth Vader lives style that was on the button sure. on the left breast, but on the back of the jacket, a huge Darth Vader spelled correctly on the back. Is, that's is, interesting. Yeah. They would do that. Exactly. I mean, that's um, it's, it's an iron on that of some kind, isn't it? I'm sure. guessing. But um, especially because of the slant that's put on it. But I think as a kid, <laughs> I would have loved that jacket. I just saw Star Wars. Yeah, it's quite snazzy there. Don't think uh, either one of us could fit into one these days, <laughs> but uh, it would be really cool to come across something like that. And again, like the chances of finding a piece like this these days is going to be extremely difficult. Absolutely is, but uh, the buttons do appear from time to time. Mm-hmm. I've seen a few of those. Um, and I know there's some necklaces, but I don't recall seeing any necklace, and I'd imagine they'd be pretty tough to get now. It's just basically the button, isn't it, with a... Mm-hmm. 
with a like a necklace attached to it that, sure. that would be hard to get and obviously these would have been cheap cheaply made um, so a lot of these will be rusted, can't be too choosy when it comes to condition of some of these items. The age of these items, the the small nature to them, lend themselves to uh, more wear and tear over the years. And yeah, I see doing all the toy shows and, and going to the antique stores and stuff, uh, see quite a few of the buttons still kicking around. But yeah, if you find one in like really good shape, just definitely have to be careful with the um, authenticity of it. I absolutely, I mean, I got caught out on a set of buttons maybe about seven years ago, mm-hmm. um, where, do you know, the fan club buttons, I think there's a set of 12, and one of them had yep. George Lucas's face on. I mm-hmm. didn't realise there was a full set of them reproduced at a later time. Mm. I mean, if you think, who would who on earth would go to make those? Um, <laughs> and, and my set were in a bag, and there was quite a lot of sets of those. But... I think Duncan Jenkins did an article on SWC where he clearly pointed out the differences between the originals and, yep. and the copies that came out, and it was a wonderful article. So I managed to identify my buttons from that. So, yeah, be absolutely careful. Basically, if it looks new and it looks in excellent <laughs> condition, there's a big yeah. warning flag there. You're looking for them that are pitted and rusted and all sorts. might want to go for the uh, age of the item as opposed to trying to find that one that's pristine. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot now, Chris, to wrap this oh, show no. up because we've covered pretty much all items. Which one of those items would you like now if you could have it? Everything that we've discussed, which one item do you think you'd like to have in your possession? I would prefer to have the chicken poster, probably because it's one of the most expensive ones. Yeah, you'd be able uh, to retire tomorrow. I know, right? <laughs> but uh, just as far as what it would add to you know my collection and be able to display it and really just enjoy that image i mean i think that's that's what i'm looking at what about you for me i think i'd like the lucite star i think it's mm. small it's cute I, I love the presentation box of it it's something that i could have in a non-star wars room as well yes. um so i think i'd be able to appease the family with having that one even if it's star wars <laughs> not a blatantly but never mind it, it it's it's a cute looking thing i, I do like it yeah, yeah, absolutely. You could uh, sneak that by the, uh, the the partner a lot easier than I could the um, the poster. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, this has been an absolute blast for the first episode. I've really enjoyed this. Um, you know, we're we're just we were unsure on the format and how to put things yeah. together, but I, I think it's worked out really well. Yeah, it was a great conversation. It really like reinvigorated my uh, passion for Star Wars and and looking into the unknown of Star Wars. I kind of stay in my lanes as far as collecting goes, and it's fun to go outside those lanes and see what else is out there. Absolutely. Each episode that we do release, we'll look at a different area. So if any of our listeners wants to suggest an area for us to have a look at, by all means, we'll take it into consideration. But for this episode, the items that are available before Star Wars came out in very, very early 1977. Hope you really enjoyed it. Um, it's been our pleasure, and we'll see you on the next show. See you later, guys. See you later. So thanks for listening to Collecting Tracks. If you want to be part of the action, stay updated on all the latest Star Wars news, visit fanthatracks.com or check out the free Fanthatracks app through the App Store to follow us on your mobile device. You can reach out to us and send in your listeners' questions by emailing radio at fanthatracks.com. Comment, like and share on any of our social media feeds at Fanthatracks and be sure to subscribe, leave a review, preferably a five-star one, on Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcatcher or smart speaker of choice. And as always, thanks to James Semple for composing the Funker Tracks intro, Andy Lyle for our collecting tracks over music, and Mark Daniel and Vanessa Marshall for our voiceovers. 
Remember to tune in to Good Morning Tatooine live Sunday evenings at 9pm UK time, 4pm Eastern and 1pm Pacific on Facebook and YouTube. Check out Fanta Tracks Radio Friday evenings at 7pm UK time for new episodes of the Fanta from Down Under, Planet Leia, Desert Planet Discs, Start Your Engines, Collecting Tracks and Cannon Fodder. And every Tuesday at 7pm UK time for your weekly episode of Making Tracks. Coming up next on Fanta Tracks Radio, it's... Making Tracks.